Welcome back to the Rambling Preacher Podcast. My name is Jesse and I am your host. And today is a disc golf discussion. I'm about to show you some recording from a conversation uh, that Matthew and I had while just playing disc golf. Very laid back, very organic. We talk about disc golf, we talk about the discs, we talk about what we're doing, but also a little bit of theology. Very uh, natural, very organic. So if you're listening, it's a long one, but it's meant to be laid back and enjoyable. Get to uh, know Matthew and myself and what we're like just out and about. Uh, so place your bets now, place your wages now, and I hope you enjoy this unscripted disc golf discussion. All right. I'm here with Matthew. Hey, everybody. And we are going to play disc golf and discuss lives and things in Jesus. That's right. Jesus and things in life, they're good to discuss. That they are. And I am throwing an Innova Valkyrie. And that's this. the DX plastic. Yeah. Those of you that are listening right now, you <laughs> might not know, but the DX is their base plastic. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little more understable, but uh, that's a good nine-speed fairway driver. And I'm going to round it around the tree. Maybe. He went way high and... Uh, we were, well, he went to the wrong basket, but <laughs> if we're playing for basket one, that one is a, a great throw. I'm actually, uh, I'm an open bag thrower, so I have a lot of different molds and different brands. I'm throwing the new Horizon DD1 from Discmania. Um, yeah. Matthew knows more about it than I do. That's a good throw. And that one went basically right where I wanted it to. Yeah, that was perfect. So par three on this first one. Okay. Matthew, when did you first become a Christian? Uh, depending on who you ask, I basically tell people I've been a Christian my whole life. Great I was Christian. one of those uh, lucky people born into a Presbyterian family where you're treated as a covenant child from your childhood on. Were you and even though in my whole life I haven't uh, stayed a Presbyterian, I appreciate that there was no point in my childhood where I was ever really given a choice. I was treated like, you're going to come to church, you're going to learn about the Lord, we're going to treat you like this is your future. And somewhere along the line, it moved from being taken by my folks to it's who I am. And obviously now I'm a ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so you don't just do that on someone else's faith. But I can't tell you specifically, on this day, in this city, I gave my heart to this Jesus. You know. Yeah, I'm similar. I mean, I uh, my parents had a rough split when I was young. My dad wasn't great, but my mom got me in church right away. And I was raised in a similar way. I was baptized, I think, when I was like, I don't know, young. 10, mm -hmm. 9, something like that. And uh, and yeah, just kind of raised... You were raised more Presbyterian until your teenage years, right? Well, until, about, until I was about 10. Oh, okay. Uh, at about 10, 
my mom, who was single at the time, she realized our Presbyterian church didn't have a lot of young people, a lot of children. And she thought, because I wasn't super popular, it would be better to go to a church that had more children. Plus, the church we were going to wasn't in our town, wasn't in our school district. So she thought I could make friends with people who, you know, went to my school. So yeah. we ended up going to an Assembly of God church, actually. Nice. And it's a little bit you, different. So you were Assemblies of God. I was PCG. Um, I mean, we were non-denom until I was maybe 13 or 14, then PCG. Now non-denom again. <laughs> so, all right. I'm on throw two. I'm farther from the basket. I am throwing... Matthew bought this for me, the Iron Samurai by Discmania. It's pretty too. It's pretty in pink with a samurai. It's got a beautiful it. stamp. All right, let's see. Oh man, I'm throwing high today. I am not looking parable right now. All right, your throw. Yep. Okay. I'm going to throw the uh, MD3 by Discmania. It's literally the same disc. The only difference is that the Iron Samurai signature, but it's still an MD3. So he, he had the right idea. I just have a better angle, <laughs> I think. Not doing much run up. Oh, oh, man. And I just grip locked that. Well, well, that wasn't what I've intended, but yeah. For those of you that don't play disc golf, Grip locking is where you hold onto the disc too long, and instead of throwing it straight, you uh, throw it out to the right. It's not ideal. It means I have to walk farther to my disc. We both have a very, very challenging par here. I think we're about the same distance away, though. No, but yeah, switching over to the Assembly of God brought some changes. But one of the key things, and the reason why I ultimately thought it was a great thing was despite all the great things about our Reformed Presbyterian Church, they were uh, pretty adherent to the Westminster standards. Yeah. You know, as great of a, of a Bible teaching and things that they had, my mom really, like, she went, but she didn't have passion. When we were in the Assembly of God Church, suddenly she got hungry to read the Word, to study, uh, to dig deeper. Okay, I'm throwing, uh, we're just gonna have mine throw first because we're in different spots, but who knows who's closer. I'm throwing the West Side Disc, the Crown, it's a putter, um, three speed, but it's a very long putt from here. Maybe, maybe 100 feet, maybe a little less, maybe 75. Give or take. Yeah. Once again, high, I'm throwing everything high. Threw it high and he wow. shorted it. Now we're going to head over to mine. And it's interesting, too, because normally when you think of passion to study the Word, you, uh, you think of reformed the Reformed people. <laughs> For whatever reason, the pastor, and his name was Bud Smith. Like, Bud, Smith. Bud that's, just a, that's just a good old boy kind of name. But he really ingrained a heart for Bible reading in all of his people. And then, of course, growing up in that church uh, till I was about 14, you know, that same heart kind of came to me. All right, well, 
It's my turn to throw again. I'm throwing the Discraft Zone in the uh, Z plastic. It's a beautiful translucent green, which stands out nicely against the white powder of this current snowy climate here in Ogden, Utah. Ah, I shorted it a little bit, but You're that's okay. In a, a better spot for your bogey than I am. So, so, yeah, I was telling Matthew before we started that the the betting odds for this round were were dead even. That Matthew's been playing longer, knows his stuff clearly, but I'm at my home court advantage. But it's also snowy, and neither of us really play in this much snow. There's like, I mean, at least seven inches of powder on the ground right now. Maybe a little less, but a lot of snow. Um, all right, I'm throwing my, uh, my penny putter by Lone Star and see how this goes. It's a great company. All right. Unfortunately, I can't get them in any of my local shops yet. Oh my. Ooh, I don't know if you can catch that on the microphone. But he hit the top of the basket and bounced about five feet over. Oh. That's going to hurt. Uh, but it's going to mean I have to make this putt to uh, take the lead. Yeah, you just take the lead with a simple bogey. That's how bad I am playing. You got it. I'm throwing the EV7-5. It's a three-speed putter. Uh, it's the favored throwing putter of tour professional Drew Gibson. He's sponsored by them. And that's the sound of the chains, because it went in. Yep. All right. I've got to clear the snow out of mine. I'm going to throw the penny again, and I'm close enough. I can just tap it in. He tapped that in. All right. You're plus one, and I'm plus two after one really bad start. But that's okay. We'll recover. You know, that's the thing is uh, sometimes... You have a plan, you know what you should do, and yet you just are physically incapable of doing the thing that you know. Yeah, like when you watch the pros, you're like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then you come out here to do it yourself, and you're like... Well, and it reminds me of, you know, work. Paul in Corinthians, when he said, the things that I want to do, that I know to do, I should do, but I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, that's what I seem to do oh, all yeah, the time. Like Romans 7? If you, if you don't... Uh, yeah, Romans 7, that's right. If you don't really believe that in life, just play enough disc golf, <laughs> and suddenly you'll understand. Because once you realize just how bad you are at disc golf, even when you think you're good, then you realize how easy it is to think you're good in other areas of your life. You know, And it's really easy for me to think I'm good when I compare myself to the guys that I play with who are as good, but when you start watching coverage of pros and you see how consistently they know what they're doing, they do better, you realize, hey, wait a minute, I'm not as good as I think I am. Well, and that's the problem with, uh, you know, we're going to go down this road, so why not? That's the problem with comparison Christianity, right? Look to the left, look to the right, look anywhere but to Christ, and it's dangerous. And I think Romans 7, I mean... The case for that being unregenerate, Paul referencing, you know, a, a looking to the law instead of a looking to the Christ, um, the Messiah. I don't know, has some weight, but in disc golf, nonetheless, 
incredibly relatable. All right, we're to T-pad two, and this is a, a custom-made course we're kind of playing right now. We're not doing the original course, so we're going from T-pad two to basket three, par three. It's, we're hitting a nice little safari layout. Yeah, this uh, we've got a creek and we've got trees, and this is a very difficult par. So, but it's you first. You had a better score, so whatever you want to throw. I've already pulled out my Omen. That's uh, my newest disc, and I'm praying that she's I am. I am going to go with my uh, Dynamic Discs Trespass. It's 12 speed with a strong fade. I'm going to throw what's known as an Anheuser shot okay. because I am not trying to go that direction. Yeah, you want to. I, want, I don't want to go to the left. I want to follow the line to the right, uh, stay on this side of the creek as much as I can. That's fair. Yeah, you essentially... Go ahead. I may have... Oh, you're safe. I'm safe. I got, I got a little too close to the creek for my own comfort, but I'm safe. Yeah. Well, if you're going that way, I should probably go that way too. I usually go the other way, but... yeah, It's your home course. You know what you're doing. <laughs> Or at least you think you know what you're doing. I think I do. Whether or not I do, I mean, I'm plus two right now after one basket, so. Turnover. Be great if I was going for that basket again. Yeah, if you were playing the normal course, you okay. would have been very happy with that shot. At least I don't have trees to worry about on my next throw. I think you do. I never have trees to worry about. <laughs> I just assume I'm going to hit them. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the name of the game. All right, I'll follow you to your disc. Yeah. You throw, and then you'll, I guess, have to follow me to mine because we took different routes. We don't know how far these separate mics can go. So, But I do know, you know, how easy it is to compare. And, you know, especially with other Christians, you see their walk, the way they go, and you start to admire, like, oh, so-and-so is so great. Especially like celebrity theologians. We all like Vody Bacham. Vody Bacham or Sproul Johnny back in the day. R.C. Sproul, <laughs> easily one of my top five all-time theologians. Just oh. a master of I the word. I do love Sproul. His, you know? But uh, Sproul is just so good at communicating. The complex... if, I, if I sit there and try and be like him and compare myself to him, I can easily fall into sadness because mm -hmm. I'm not there yet. You know, I, I read Sproul or I read Spurgeon. I may look a little like Spurgeon, but that doesn't mean I'm <laughs> nearly as good of a preacher as he is. See, Spurgeon, yeah, preacher, pastor, I put him right near the tippy top of my list. Um... Sproul's up there too. Yeah, you're right. This is a tough shot. I know nobody can see this, but he parked himself in the mess of the trees in the creek. And the basket, I mean, if you can keep it low and avoid yep. That's the goal. three trees, you're in a good spot for par. So I'm going to throw my Gold Line Saint from uh, Latitude 64 discs. I got this in a tournament this summer. Oh, <laughs> I can't tell exactly how that landed, but... Par is going to be tough, but you landed 
on the other side of the creek, right at the end where it goes into a little, uh, I don't know what that's called. Culvert? Yeah. I really hope I didn't end up in the culvert. No, you're good. Should we go to yours next? Yeah, we can still walk this way, though. I'm up by that basket. Okay. So you became Assemblies of God when you were like 10-ish. I mean, that's about when I was baptized. And at that point, I was non-denom. I've explained the kind of my background when I first started the podcast. My uncle was a pastor, Baptist-ish, but still continuationist. Um, he was the least charismatic out of all of us, though. He was always like sacred and sanctified and set apart. You know, we've talked about that. Like one of my goals as a as a pastor is, I mean, it, it makes it difficult because people interact with you differently. But I want to be a, a man among men. I play disc golf with the young men. I play basketball with the young men. I go on dinner dates with couples from the church. Um, I've even been known to play video games with the teenagers. Um, you know, I try to kind of like Paul says, I, I mean, I, I would love to have a conversation about that more on one day, but when Paul says like, I become all things to all people in order that I may win some, it's kind of how I feel as a pastor. Like I try to, I try to reach them with where, where they're at, you know? Well, that's part of discipleship is, and as much as you can without violating your holiness and the qualifications of being an elder, you know, you want to be among your people. I get leery of some of these famous preachers in big communities where they're making seven, eight figures because their church has eight, nine hundred people, but then their people are all, you know, average at best. They don't live like their people. They live above them. Yeah, and that's what I don't want to do. I don't want to. I don't want to live above the people. I live with the people, and it it makes it tough, though. Um, you know, some people want a pastor that is astute and sacred and set apart that they can respect and honor. But you know, I want elders among the people. But who knows? All right, I'm throwing the Conrad disc, one and only. The Envy, made Jesus. famous right here in Ogden, yes. Utah, when yeah. James Conrad threw the greatest shot in professional disc golf history. The MVP MV. Putt and approach. I can see the basket. I do have a couple of trees to split, but not too bad. Slight Anheuser. I released it a little early. All right, we're both looking... Like Both looking in a little tough a chance par. for par, but once again, unfortunately, more likely a bogey. I mean, I have a chance for par. You have a chance for par for sure. Whether or not we. Yeah, mine's <laughs> in a tough spot for sure. Yeah, you've got a tree in the way again. We're about the same distance away. It's really interesting here in the snow, seeing all the sledding tracks right by the basket. And I'm really curious if someone tipped their sled and went square straight into hitting the basket. Um, like, that would hurt. And if you are coming down a hill sledding and you hit that bad boy, 
you're gonna feel it and you're gonna regret it. Yeah. All right, you're for par right here. Oh, tassel. oh, inches. Okay, throw my penny putter. I'm a good 20, 25 feet away. Oh, and I barely went over. <sighs> nearly hit the top. Woo, that was a little bit steep trying to climb almost into the water to get that back. All right, you're tapping. I'm a easy bogey. We are just not killing it. It's because of the podcast. It's putting too much pressure on us. And this course is. There we go. Bogey. I'm a cozy plus three right now. Yeah, sad. Nice thing is we're honest pastors and leaders. <laughs> we're not going to tell you that we're under par. It'd be kind of nice to be under par right now. And I think on this course, if I wasn't trying to trek through the snow and slipping and was able to do some run-up throws. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a difference to anyone listening. We are not really able to do any run-up on any pad or any throw. So, and we're playing the long version of the normal course. So, it's, uh, it's not easy. So, we're going from pad three to basket four. Yeah, we're getting our exercise in too. We're going to put in the work. So my next question I wanted to ask you. Um, yeah. You know, you, you were Reformed Presbyterian leaning and then went Assemblies of God. And, you know, when we first connected, it was like, who theologically do you align with? And we both mentioned Sam Storms. And I just want to know, like, you know, we both look to Sam Storms and other scholars and theologians for things. But, you know, when we talk about convergence of word and spirit, and Sam Storms does, you know, what, what does that look like for you in the future? How do we bring more convergence, more um, unity to some of the charismatic things and some of the reformed things? And that's, I mean, that's part of my vision, right, is yeah. charity and theology and bringing these two, you know, extremes, I would argue, to a, to a healthy middle ground. It's a challenge, mostly because, you know, we have a habit in charismatic communities of strawmanning the Calvinists. Yeah. You know, and I've heard every Calvinist strawman you can imagine. And some you probably couldn't even guess. And then on the other side, Calvinists throw so many straw men at uh, charismatics. And then on both sides of the aisle, we play the, uh, well, so-and-so is a problem card, you know. I mean, it's easy to look at some of the extreme issues. Like, say, uh, Todd Bentley, who's had numerous theological issues and numerous moral issues and things. So yeah. it's easy to point to him and say, well, see, he, he's wrong, so therefore charismatics are wrong. But it's the same token. Charismatics look at some of the Reformed brothers, especially some of the more vitriolic ones that when they speak of 
uh, charismatic people. And they're like, well, see, they're angry and spiteful and hateful. And they start to say, well, if, if, so I assume if you are a reformed leaning person, you must be like pastor so-and-so. It, yeah. And they say, if you're a charismatic person, you must be like pastor so-and-so. The truth is, I'm just someone who read my Bible. <laughs> I'm someone who just started reading. Yeah. And then said, okay, Lord, what, what, what am I supposed to garner from this? And as I saw things like in the book of Acts where they would pray for the sick and the sick would get well, I just genuinely believed, hey, I'm going to try that. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw in uh, Paul's letters where he touted the Bereans because every time he'd preach, they'd sit there and scour the word and they'd try and see if it's true. Yeah. And I've had several ministers that I've come into conflict with because they preach something and it's not the word. Yeah. You know, I had someone was trying to connect me with a minister on the other side of the country about a year ago. And they seemed like a really nice guy. But when they were preaching, they uh, started talking about Jesus in his humanity. And they kind of held to a more stronger kenosis than perhaps I would be comfortable to. But, you know, I can give some leeway to some kenosis people. Yeah, it's a tough... But he got so far into it that he said, and I quote, when Jesus was in the temple at 13, he missed the mark because it wasn't his time. He got ahead of his time when he should have been with his mother and father. And I looked at him dead in the eye and I said, are you telling me that Jesus was in sin? Because the the definition of missed the (laughs) mark is sin. Uh So you're telling me that Jesus sinned. If that's the case, then our whole faith is pointless. I'm going home. Yeah. And that was the end of my discussion. That's the end of my dealings with that guy. I was willing to give him charity to get to know him, whatever. But, uh, you know, hey, if you're preaching the opposite of the word of God, that's it. I'm out. Yeah. You know, so I can be very charitable towards some of my Pentecostal brothers, some of my charismatic brothers, some of my deeply reformed brothers. Yeah. But I got to make room to say, hey, you know what? How's it going? Not too bad. Not too bad. How you doing? If you're not preaching truth, I'm out. Yeah. Spirit and in truth, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh... you know, some, and the problem is the charismatics, a lot of them don't really study their word enough. Yeah. And I would say most of, most of the charismatics that I know that I think are borderline problematic, it's not because they don't have a good heart for the Lord. It's not because they don't genuinely believe the truth. They know that they are saved by grace on the merits of Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. but they haven't spent enough time studying different things. So they go with whatever their pastor teaches. And honestly, like eschatology, for instance, 90% of the people I know that, <laughs> that talk about eschatology, dispy, they, they just tell you what their pastor preached in their yeah. church. Mm-hmm. And they've never read a book by someone who, or heard a sermon by someone who disagrees with their opinion. Well, I'll tell you when I <laughs> when I talk to charismatics to this day, I'll talk about like all mill or post mill, and uh, and I've had charismatics come up to me and they'd be like, "Don't don't worry, don't worry, uh, I I I believe in a post trib rapture," and they'll like whisper to me, and I'm like, "Okay, I know," um, but you know, then my mom's talking to me and she's like, "What do you believe now that you're into theology and you've been studying it for a few years, like pretty in depth and?" whatever. And this was a couple years ago, actually, when we first started having these conversations and I just told her, 
um, yeah, I think I'm Amil. And she's like, what's that? <laughs> um, but yeah, just to, just to kind of, hello. Hi. Hey there, puppy. Sorry. He's oh, you're like, fine. He's so friendly. We, we like dogs. Yeah, in people's faces. But yeah, it's just funny because you have so many charismatics that they read the Bible, but they have no, they don't learn the context. They don't learn the culture. They don't learn the history. They don't learn the orthodoxy. They don't learn the theology that partners with. And I told people, I said, you know, I avoided theology because as a charismatic growing up, I was told, oh, those people get puffed up. They get egotistical. They talk with big words. And yeah, admittedly, some of the lingo is theological lingo, but I avoided it because I already struggled with pride. And so why do that? Just read my Bible, read my Bible, read my Bible. But what happens is charismatics that even do read their Bible, they eisegetically pull everything out of its context and start adding in their thoughts and opinions and their modern culture and their modern paradigms. And, you know, so even the charismatics that I do know that I love, a lot of times their biblical understanding is still pretty, pretty weak, unfortunately, just because even if they do read it, yeah, and, they avoid you know, the. They avoid unfortunately, the... even and and I, won't, I don't want to blame that purely on charismatics either. It's it I, is I know people in the Reformed Church. It's America. you know the, the staunch yeah. Reformed Presbyterians that they go to church, they sing the Psalms exclusively, they they do all the right things, but their Bible doesn't leave their car when they get home. Yeah, because they don't you know they just it's not who they are. Yeah, and unfortunately that's a, just a human trait that we as pastors and leaders, we have to diligently, you know, we, we have to need that out of our people time after time. Because, you know, I'm sure you, even as, as a pastor of a local church, I'm sure there are weeks where you're just like, I don't even really want to dig into the word this week. <laughs> no, I, I can you know, relate. I'm just... Most pastors don't want to admit that, but I will, because like I said, I'm a man among men. I can relate mm -hmm. to that. I can relate to, oh man, I just... I'm not feeling it today, you know? Uh-huh. And the early church is probably rolling over in their graves thinking, dude, we wish we had what you have, you know? You know, for, for a time when we have unfiltered access to the scriptures in such ample supply, it is a shame, it is to our shame, that we have so much biblical illiteracy in our day and age. Yeah. Do you want me to throw first? I think we're still tied, so you've been throwing. No, you're, 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 uh, you're beating me. Am I? Okay. Yeah, you're, you're plus two. Oh, yeah, two, you got that double bow. Plus three, yeah. So where are we throwing to then? The basket over by the volleyball net over there. Okay. So I'm going to... And I'm assuming the, the left side of the cart path is out of bounds? Um, yeah. Walking path itself is OB. Yeah. Maybe not the left side, though. It just says walking path. Well, I'm, we're going to play it like... Yeah, fair enough. Since we're safariing, we're going to assume if you go... To the left of the cart path or land on the cart path, you're OB. Not bad. What throw was that? What disc was that? Dynamic discs evader, and I threw it on a forehand flick, but I threw it just a little too low. So because I was thinking since I'm throwing at that hill, it would kind of glide down the hill, but it hit just too soon and it kind of slid into the I've hill. I've just been so out of form because I haven't played in a while. I haven't played in like two months. Um, in the summer, we played a lot with a lot of people from church. Um, but I got to keep remember, I, keep, I forget to put my wrist down, lock it down. I am also going to forehand because we're bending hard to the right. We're talking the normal tee pad is only 200 feet. So we're probably talking 400 maybe right now, maybe a little more. Par three, still a rough par. Um, 
Oh, we got to bend to the right. So I'm going to flick it. I'm throwing my omen. Oh, no. Yeah, I think you're safe. I'm okay. You're okay. I thought I was going to go in that creek. You, I'm right before the creek. You're just short of the creek. <laughs> That's just okay. See, I, I get I, I get why you don't play as much, you know, in the winter. I mean, we're walking around and it's snow town right now. Yep. Um, in Kansas, at least, it's just colder than cold. Like, it, it might be five degrees, but we don't have the snow. Uh, we'll go several times during the week. Oh, I'm right there. Man, I was walking to your disc and not my own. <laughs> I think you'll throw first. Up the hill that I just walked down. Like a goober. <laughs> you know what's funny is before this, I told Matthew, I'm like, I'm going to smack talk you so hard while we're recording, and then we've done zero smack talk. So, yeah, you are a goober, you goober. It's okay. I'm still the winning goober. You're you are the winning goober. Honestly, the thing is, this Jesse, course, whoever goes par is absolutely the winner because this course gives zero pars to rookies like me and you. Not bad. A tough chance of par. The thing about it, Jesse, is I don't do as much smack talk when I'm winning. Yeah. See, I do the smack talk when I'm winning, so I need to take the lead so then we can we can both smack talk. There I am. Okay, I'm going to throw the judge, dynamic disc judge. Just got it from uh, Shane's brother. For those of you that have had Shane on the podcast, he has a brother that I still work with, Scott. Um, great, great dude, man of faith, um, extremely faithful to God. And uh, their whole family, man, is just real deal. But he had me for a secret Santa, so he got me this dynamic judge. All right, my struggle is... I have trees on the creek that are only about four feet, five feet tall, but then I have a clearance branch that's about nine, but on the other side of the creek. So I have a very narrow window to get through and then a tree. But I think I can put myself in a good spot for a par and then maybe catch up to Matt as he works toward me. Okay. Okay, not the easiest par, but I have a much easier chance of par than Matthew. I ended up going to the right of the tree just because of that clearance branch. Yeah, but I mean it worked. Yeah, it's not. I'm. I'm. Hopefully, can get a par here. That's my. Mind you, I didn't hear any of your commentary beforehand. <laughs> I was just talking about the disc. Fair enough. I wasn't talking theology or anything or Christian living. You got just far enough away that. I lost track of your voice. Well, yeah, then I just started talking quietly enough. But we're talking convergence, you know, and theology grounded in charity is a big thing for me. And 1 Corinthians 13 being the reason for that, like possess all knowledge yet not have charity, right? And so, you know, I just want people to realize the, uh, the book that's flying off the shelves right now it's called, uh... oh, geez, what's that book? I'm forgetting it that I showed you back in my house. Hold on. Let me look in my pictures. I took a picture of it so that I could look it up. Um, just Counterfeit finished. Kingdom. Counterfeit Kingdom. Yeah, a lot of people are reading that right now. I know. Um, it's uh, my throw. So I'm throw. about to throw my 
pie putter again. If I don't mention it, I'm exclusively throwing with my pie putter. So, for par, and you're tapping. Okay, I need Just to this short to uh, catch up. I'm throwing my west side crown, not my penny this time. Changing Let's it up. Let's see if you can make this. And we're back to Pause. even because he hit that clean. Our benefit of being about, 10 feet away. Yeah, about 10 then, to 15 feet. You know, 40 feet away. Yep. All right, well, we're going to be tied then. We're both at plus three. We're killing it. Oh, we got to go back up that hill. <laughs> Do we really? Yeah. Wow. Tap that in. Thank you. Yep. So. Uh, I was reading that book, obviously, just chapter one, just got it last week. It's brand new. It just released a couple weeks ago, Counterfeit Kingdom, by I think her name's like Holly Pivik and Douglas Givet or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, what, what's crazy, as I told Matthew, I said, you know, people are going to read this because these are the same people that kind of studied out NAR and what that meant from C. Peter Wagner. And they're like, you know, people in these NAR camps are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They believe that. And yet the reform communities latched onto this NAR word. And now it's synonymous with apostate or false convert or goat. <laughs> and I just don't think that's fair um, because in the second paragraph or second or third paragraph of their book, Counterfeit Kingdom, they write many faithful, charismatic Christians. And that's what I'm looking for. People that are willing to expose maybe some of the, uh, the inconsistencies within the charismatic camp, which is a part of my goal, but also willing to be incredibly charitable and realize that they cling to the gospel, you know? So kind of bringing balance to both sides. All right, we're tied. Plus three each, I won that, so. I'll throw first, I guess. Which is good, because I don't actually know where I'm throwing to. We're throwing to basket one, technically. See it all? Yeah, over there. Okay. Remember basket one by the creek? I do. Yeah, we're going back right next to the creek. So we've got to go over this volleyball course, crash right, three par. So I'm throwing my minus three underworld by west side with a slight, ever so slight Anheuser in hopes to crash right. Because I, whenever I flick... And forehand this one just doesn't work home court advantage so I'm trying to throw the west side underworld here ah well you crashed right yeah fine enough i mean i can still par this but that was not the distance i wanted oh, i'm throwing. gonna throw my uh witness which is also a minus three on the turn. It's a very understable disc. And I am too going to work on throwing a turnover line. I'm going to take a minute and warm it up with my hand. Because <laughs> when a disc gets cold, it becomes overstable and it wants to crash harder towards the left. And you just you can't throw farther than me. That's my only request. You broke my request. That's a good throw. Fade left. It definitely didn't crash out as far to the right as I'd hoped. Yeah. I mean, yours. Yours is a better, easier approach for par than I am, though. So here's your 
NAR fun fact of the day. Ooh, give us one. I knew Peter Wagner personally, met him several times, and uh, most of the accusations about the NAR that people throw on him really don't match who he was as a person. I believe And that. how he was as a minister. I believe it. I think he was definitely had some areas where he and I disagree on theology. But he loved Jesus and he loved people. And he believed that God was restoring the righteous ministry of the fivefold giftings to the earth. And he had some ideas of what that would look like that I definitely don't fully share. But at the end of the day, his, his paradigm was not significantly different than what most churches hold to. If anything, his paradigm was surprisingly Presbyterian. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit, yeah. Because his view of apostolic councils and such, as he called them, really play out to be Presbyteries. And that each local church, even though they would call themselves independently charismatic or non-denominational, they're part of an apostolic network. At some point, you just have to say, hey, what, wait a minute, you're just talking about a denomination, but you're not using the word denomination because you're afraid that sounds religious. All right, I'm going to throw my MVP relay. I have a mess of trees. I either have to flick it and hope I don't land in the creek or make this opening and crash hard left. So probably going to hyzer and crash left with this relay. Okay. This is my hope. That wasn't bad. No, that wasn't bad at all. Oh. Still a little farther out than I think you wanted to be. Yeah, a little bit, but another uh, did what I wanted. Another famous name of the NAR that I'm close to uh, in terms of distance-wise is Mike Bickle, who lives in Kansas City. I live in Lawrence, which is about 40 minutes away. Mike Bickle's another one where I, Sam Storms loves him, and the people that I know that have interacted with him vouch for his character. Mike Bickle's character is above reproach in every way possible. Yeah. And... Oddly enough, aside from books that are written by IHOP people, every book that Mike Bickle has ever read, recommended to me was by a Calvinist author. He encouraged me to read Spurgeon and Wetfield and Edwards. Man, he, he loved Edwards. And he also uh, is a big John Piper fan. Loved, in fact, one of his books he wrote after reading John Piper's Desiring God. He wrote a book called The Pleasures of Loving God, which is just a little more charismatic, but it's, you know, might as well be the same, same stuff. Um, but the, the key thing about both of them, and everybody else that I've ever met that would be considered NAR, is most of them don't realize there's a club that they're supposed to be hanging out in. <laughs> None of them know that. <laughs> in fact, did you listen to Remnant Radio? Shout out Remnant Radio. Uh, when they had their history of Kansas City with uh, Sam Storms. I've listened to a few of them. One of the big things he pointed out is he knew in back in the 80s when they had the group of the Kansas City Prophets, he pointed out that even though he was friends with all of them and knew them, most of them weren't friends with each other and didn't really like each other. Yeah. 
And I think it's funny how often from the outside we say these two people sound alike when they preach, so therefore they must be the same. And in reality, they don't even like each other. They don't even do, want anything to do with each other. Yeah. I mean, let him throw his evader. Good approach. Don't creak. Oh, you are. That was a great throw. Oh, man. I mean, that this was, disc looks so beautiful in the that snow. Was, that was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, I think that's happened um, with people like Todd Bentley, right? Like, there are charismatic people that were very, very against Todd Bentley being reinstated to ministry leadership. Um, Dr. Michael Brown being one of them, which uh -huh. obviously I don't, I don't mind Dr. Michael Brown. And uh, so... And he, he was like, don't reinstate Todd Bentley. Do not do it. Do not do it. And Bill Johnson and crew, I'm just like, no, we, it was a David Bathsheba moment. He's good. So here, here's some things I want to say about that. Because unfortunately, uh, I have some friends that are much more in-depth, closer to that situation than I can fully say. But I know two couples, for instance, who do missions work taking care of widows and orphans in Uganda, Tanzania, that part of the world. The one couple, both of them got saved under Todd Bentley's ministry, and their first missions trip was with Todd Bentley. Oh, yeah, I think you told me a little bit about this. Over the years, however, they stopped hanging out with him. They stopped talking with him. They kind of separated some, you know? Yeah. Which is, in my opinion, a very good thing. Discernment. But when both of the times that Todd Bentley collapsed, my friends lost supporters because someone found out that they got saved in his meeting. That's unfortunate. They hadn't been with him in a decade, but we're taking our support of your mission to the widows and the orphans because you got saved by that guy. And, that, and that's just crazy. That's just bad understanding of theology right like god's grace saves in spite of the leaders right like i don't believe that anyone truly um is saved by me but in spite of me because of god's grace yes god uses us yeah but god can use in spite of us yeah and he could use i mean not that i love everyone out there but he uses people to save people to reach people even in their bad theology or incorrect doctrines all right i'm throwing my penny this is a I don't know how far. It's going to be a tough shot. 25 foot putt. It is a tough, tough putt. And wow. I am in no way endorsing uh, Mr. Bentley. In fact, the one time I met him, it left a vigorously horrible taste in my mouth. I made wow. it. Wow. <clears throat> it barely went in. <laughs> it fluttered on the rim. <laughs> I'm staying plus three. Now I'm putting some pressure on you. Your putt's far easier. So if you miss it, I'm going to make fun of you. You can make fun of me all you want. I'm, I'm glad I recovered that because that first throw really messed me up. You didn't, And you didn't think I'd be this close after I threw it way out to the left back there. Dead center chain. <sighs> yeah. Well, we're both still plus three. Unfortunately, that's another thing that both the Charismatics, I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, both the Charismatics and the Reform crowd do, 
is we play the guilt by association card. You know? Yeah. Oh, you knew Todd Bentley. You got saved in one of his meetings. Therefore, you're just like him. We don't know anything about you as a person. We don't know what you preach or teach. We don't know what your ministry is, but we know that you got saved by in the Todd Bentley meeting. You're the devil. And the Charismatics goes the opposite way. Oh, you have a MacArthur study Bible. <laughs> you must think I'm the devil and unsaved. And, and it goes both ways. It does. But we seem to steer into the vitriol rather than steering into the, hey, let's sit down for a cup of coffee and uh, let's become acquainted with each other's theology personally. You know, one of my closest friends is a RPCNA pastor. Yeah. And every time we get together, we have deep theological discussions. Sometimes on Calvinism, sometimes on charismatic issues, sometimes on current events. It doesn't really matter what. We just we get together and talking to each other, we encourage each other, we stir one another towards good works. And we walk away feeling encouraged in the Lord. Neither one of us would be truly comfortable sitting in the other's church on a regular basis. And that's what it's about, you know. I think Protestantism has opened up this can of worms where we each get to decide what the Bible says, unfortunately. <laughs> and... Uh, well, the good news is if you don't like what it says, you can write your own translation. <laughs> you sure can. With no no training, no linguistic training, no history in linguistics. That's part of the reason in my sermons I've actually distanced myself from getting into the Greek or the, the original languages too often. Because I've just seen so many people twist and manipulate God's word by doing that. Um, in fact... I just saw an Instagram reel just yesterday about like that gut feeling. It was said when God felt this, blah, blah, blah. It actually, in the Greek, here's what it means. It's like some 19-year-old. Here's what it means. In the Greek, it says this, and this is what that means. It means feeling in your gut. And so he's like, when you have a gut feeling about something, that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is really, really bad. It's a stretch. <laughs> that's a, that's you a, know, I mean, it, it's entirely possible that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, a gut feeling could be, but maybe kind of. Is it is it leading you towards more biblical nature? I feel like I'm not going to find this disc. It's a white Valkyrie. And... Yeah, that was a poor choice on your decision. Yeah. I would agree. I don't want to throw my omen though. We're throwing to that basket that's kind of behind the playground yep. back there. On the stump. It's a par three. I don't. Know For those of you that can't hear, there's some guy about I don't know, 200 yards away, standing on the street screaming. Yeah, he's like he seems upset, but half of me is expecting us to get close enough to hear him and find out that he's like just some street preacher telling everyone they're going to hell. We are in the middle of Mormon country, so uh, no, they don't, people don't go to hell in Mormon country. They go to they go to heaven. Yeah, you only go to hell, which is outer darkness, if you completely are one hundred percent in complete knowledge and awareness of the LDS gospel, and you reject it and fight against it. Then you go to outer darkness. Everyone else goes to heaven. So, conversations with my friends are fun. I'm like, well, if your theology's right, I'm still going to heaven. If my theology's right, it's not. good to know that I don't have to work hard to go to Mormon heaven. No, you don't. You go to the lowest heaven, which is yeah, the most boring, less parties, but 
No, I'm kidding. You don't get to become a god. And they're actually distancing themselves from that, which is crazy, because that is like the foundation of what Joseph Smith fought for, and especially polygamy. Just crazy. All right, I'm throwing the Valkyrie anyway. I'm praying that we don't lose it. Um, I'm going to try to bend around that fence. And next to no run-up, I forgot to lock my wrist, but flight's okay. And I'm, I'm pretty right... sure that's right back where you threw it the last time we played yeah. through here. Yeah, it's close to that creek. I, I think, think I'm going to play okay. that uh, Stratosphere DD1 Horizon. Uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to my boy here, because this was his Christmas present to me. Je uh, Pastor Jesse, rambling preacher, the guy that we're listening to on the podcast right now. He, we went to play the other day when I first got to Utah. Stopped at the shop there, and they had this, and he said, Merry Christmas. And I said, well, thank you. Well, you started it by buying me the samurai, so... That's true, but I didn't buy it for you thinking that you'd buy me a gift. I bought it for you because I want to honor you. You know, there, there was that scripture, and I know this could be a little eisegetical, but it says never come before a king without a gift. And I think that not just kings, but when you come before someone as a guest, you should honor them with a gift. And that's just kind of partly a biblical thing, but also partly just how my family was raised. So I still do it. That's in the uh, fence. You, yeah. That, you're I gonna, am in trouble. A par is looking nearly impossible with that first throw. I am a wheel of cheese. And yeah, you're a wheel of cheese. You're supposed to smack talk me, not yourself. <laughs> Most of my smack talk is about how terrible I am. Because in reality, I don't need to smack talk you. Your play will do that for me. <laughs> See, I that, smack talk that's myself what I'm talking because about. I'm that's terrible. That's good. That's good. Bring it on. Um, yeah, you're uh, you're buried in the fence, though, so you're going to have to recover, use a recovery throw. I am assuming that inside this tennis court is OB. Yeah, they lock it in the winter, so it's, it's absolutely OB. So you either have to throw it over and pray you don't land in the tennis courts or go around. It's nicely tombstoned in the snow, though. I am, uh, I'm going to play all or nothing. All or nothing. You're going to try to keep your par. All right. That's not bad. I put myself back in the fairway, everybody. Yeah. Uh, but I was definitely risking ending up in the locked tennis courts. And I was definitely planning on making Jesse climb over. I'm going to set my bag down, and then I'm going to come help you find your disc. I shouldn't have thrown a white disc. I knew better. The danger of throwing a white disc in the snow is... Oh, I found it. We're good. ...that you have trouble finding it. I'm right here. He found it. Okay. Looks like uh, he's throwing that Iron Samurai. Yep, Iron Samurai. Ah, 
Ooh, good bounce. And he got a great kick to put him pretty much where he wanted to be. I might be able to par that. I still got that. I'm tree throwing my MD3. For par! And I am out to the left hard. As these discs keep getting wet, it becomes harder and harder to get a strong grip on them. My feet are also getting wet. Yeah, my feet are wet too. <laughs> I, uh, I might need John Turturro to come and uh, change my socks. Oh, Mr. Deeds reference for the less nerdy among you. <laughs> In that movie, John Turturro repeatedly offers to change Adam Sandler's socks. And it just makes me laugh every time. So I've got a stroke on you, and I'm closer. This is perfect. This He's going to throw for his par right here. So if he gets this, he's automatically up one on me. Yeah, you're farther, though. So I, I want to know if the pressure's on me or not. You can throw. Tell me if the pressure's on. You've got about, what, 30 feet to the basket? Bogey, good throw. Oh, a little high. Just soared right over the top. It's on a tree stump, so it's taller too. So if that had been down six inches, eight inches, I would have made that. But he's gonna struggle right here. Far. Okay, maybe he's not gonna struggle. Woo! I stay plus three, and you're uh you might go plus two this one, huh? No matter what, I uh, this is going to be a plus one, two if two. I make this. Yeah, you have to make it because you sort over, so now you have a comeback of a similar putt. At least it's not, you know, I'm only 10 feet this time. Yeah. So this is in my puttable range. And I, and I don't have a tree directly in front of me, so I'm not trying to straddle putt. There you go. Good sound. So we've got a plus three and plus five. I like that two two point lead I've got now. Home court advantage. Those who put their bets on me. Rambling preacher. We're looking good. Heading to I don't even know what basket number we're on. We did one, two. Yeah, three, I've lost four. track of what hole we're on. I'm just following you because you're telling me what to do. We just finished five, so we've got four more baskets. And this one, we start here, right across the creek to that, before the pond. Ooh. This is... Uh, you get to go first on this one, buddy. Yeah. If you could run up, this one's not bad at all, but this tee pad is um, powder and compacted snow. Yeah, this is about four inches deep snow, at least. We're There's in... not a good chance for a run up on this. Yeah, we're in a shady area right now, so it's... It's really not melted at all over here. Anyway, I say all that about, you know, like Peter Wagner and Mike Bickle and some of these others to say we throw the guilt by association card around way too much. And we assume that walking in agreement means you have to 100% believe in me. I mean, look at how many people who are reformed won't even, won't even touch John Piper. Yeah. And I've never seen John Piper be anything but a faithful man of God for 30 something years in his ministry. I'm guessing this throws only 250, but we do have to clear a creek 
and it's it's a before a pond, so you have to land in the open area. But I am going to still throw my Conrad MV, MVP. I'm going to I'm going to try to distance putt it without a run up. So that's bold, I know. Oh, that was not bad. Come on. Oh, I could birdie that maybe. All right. He put that clean. I'm going with my uh, understable eight speed on this. Try and get it to kind of flex line a little bit. Oh no. Clear. Okay. Cleared the creek. It didn't. It's, it didn't uh, fade back out. That Anheuser. Yeah. It was a full turnover. The problem is too with this shot. I know people listening can't see, but we have trees to the right, to the left. There's essentially a cove you have to travel through to get there. I mean, it's, it's yeah. Those trees are a little low hanging, so you kind of have to stay under them the whole way. Yeah, you have to just kind of rip it. And just I don't hate where I am, but uh, he is in a more enviable position. Yeah. Note the play on words. Since yeah, he the threw play his on words envy. is worth it. For those of you listeners, that's a little disc golf humor. Well, if you have an envy, you would no longer have to envy. I'm just glad my, I didn't end up shorting it and going in this creek. So, Matthew, I think you and I, we should start a, uh, a Christian disc golf company. Because I don't think there's any competitors for that. We'll start. Uh, making... Actually, there is. Oh, is there? Darn it. Uh, Goliath Discs out of Iowa. Uh, shout out to Josh Batazzi. Oh, well, maybe we should buy They have currently three molds. They have the Enoch, which is a yep. Buzz-like mid-range. It's got a little bit sharper edges than the Buzz. They have the Genesis, which is a two-speed putter. It's a beadless putter in the vein of like a P2 or an AVR. Um... And they just came out with an eight-speed, kind of in that, like, T-Bird 3 Evader kind of area. I don't remember what that one's called, but uh, Josh is a great guy, loves Jesus. He's uh, faithful in his local congregation, in his local community, supporting the disc golf world, supporting the gospel. So uh, if you've never checked it out, I would absolutely recommend checking out Goli uh, Goliath Discs out of Iowa. Well, that is an unpaid ad. Yeah. Josh, I'm totally open to you sending me some free discs. I would never turn that down. And and it's it's on this podcast, so you can send me one too. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sadly, that's not quite how sponsorship works, but no, uh, a man not. can dream. All right. Oh. You're very parable situation. Maybe, maybe birdieable. That's like a. This is a long putt to a shorter than normal height basket. Yeah, you've got like what, 40 feet there? Maybe 35. Not bad. Essentially a tap in. I did landed, not make it with my five. I landed. I even got better. the right distance, but it uh, faded out. Just a little too hard at the end. Now, I don't use my MV like a putter ever. My MV is a mid-range to me. Um, so I'm switching to my penny putter. I've got about seven or eight feet between me and the basket, so it should be a birdie. 
And that's a birdie. I'm down to plus two. You're going to par and stay plus five, and I'm going to win. And he's going to buy me... What are you going to buy me? You're going to buy me dinner. We didn't bet on this beforehand. I think that's bet. interesting that the the, the, uh, the bet comes in after he's secured the win. <laughs> hey, there's still three. There's still three baskets. Believe in yourself. All right, par, plus five, plus two. Home court advantage, feeling good right now. For those of you that put your betting odds on me, I'm liking it. But we still have three more baskets. Anything can happen, especially if some. What's happened to me before is I've been up by two, three strokes, and then those last couple baskets are legitimate water hazards. Yep. And so you can you can lose that lead real quick if you're not careful. That's what happened when we were practicing and warming up. I took a water hazard, and uh, he beat me in our warm up. So there, kudos to you. I told you everyone. I told everyone you beat me in the warm up. By one stroke, though, everyone listening, just so you know, there's only one stroke. <laughs> Let him run his mouth. Matthew's learning that I can be a little competitive. Are you competitive, Matthew? When I need to be. That's fair. But I know for a fact that when I play a new course, the first round is always a challenge. Yeah. And we're playing the first round in the snow. Yeah. So I'm at like a, an extra disadvantage. So I'm keeping it competitive, but I don't, I didn't come in here knowing I've got this. That's good. Which is good because pride and I, all that. Yeah. I mean, pride goes before the fall. That's why I'm nervous. I, I can't gloat too much yet. So we're going <laughs> to that basket down This there? is the normal, yeah, the okay. normal, normal seven. So this is only about 220. Um, we do have trees everywhere in front of us, so you have to hook it and hyzer it out. So you're really throwing a clean 300. I'm throwing my Samurai again. Thank you, Matthew. Mid-range, 5501, something like that. Mm. Uh -oh. Will that come back, or did that? I think that's out of bounds there, be. my friend. It might be OB. I'm throwing this uh, Stratosphere DD1 once again. Because I genuinely believe that the fact that it crashes out hard will keep me from going too far OB. I didn't come back in. I didn't hyzer it enough. Did you hyzer it enough? Oh! For those that are watching at home, oh, no. I hit a perfect skip six feet back into the air and down towards the basket. That is unfair. We're going to find out how close to Park I am. Oh my gosh. But uh I think you you were going to be OB too, but you hit ice I think or something on that the road. I chose correctly oh in my, my disc selection. Our throws were nearer nearly I'm guessing nearer. I'm about 15 to 20 feet from the hole at this point. Oh. Jesse going OB means he adds a stroke. So this Though it's his second throw, will be his third stroke. Do I really want to ruin his day, though? Yeah, I'll tell you. The re for the record, your actual spot where you play from is where the disc went out of bounds. I don't even know where I am. Here in this uh, trash can. Oh my gosh, you're right next to the road, too. Am I in this area? 
Yeah, you skipped in. Unless you skipped over. What in the world? Sorry, we're near a road now, so. I'm just like praying somehow I bounced into the. I found it. You found it? Right there. So, right, where do I play from? You play from the spot where it went out of bounds. So, probably like by right. this tree. Yeah, kind of. I mean, that's kind of hard to know because I hyzered it, but I didn't hyzer it enough. So I kind of saw it like as if it was somewhere around here. I so, say, I will here. give you here as the benefit. Okay. Now, your your spot, you can play from there, but I would recommend to make it a little easier on yourself. You can actually throw your and do your run up out here on firmer ground where you're not on the side and of the hill as much. Eight inches of powder. Yeah. <sighs> okay. All right. Is this so? This is for par then, technically. Yes. This is his par shot. Lord be with me. Nope. Too much hyzer. I'm buried. He's definitely got a shot I've got a for bogey. bogey. Yeah. But I just can't afford you to birdie this. That will put you right back with me. Pride goes before the fall, people. Be careful. Be careful out there. I got to say, God, this, this, this purple feet. does look really nice in the snow. It does. I don't like that you're only a foot away from the, the lot, man. You were right there with me. My, my problem is I'm a little worried that the reason it skipped so much is that I hit the ground that hard. I'm yeah, almost, I, I'm ready to look to see if I cracked it. I mean, maybe but the, I got to make this birdie shot first. Maybe the, May the good Lord be with me. I don't know if that actually helps, but I'm going to ask for his help anyway. Tim Angels in the outfield. Oh, basket now. Okay, that the bogey. Hit low. All right, I got my bogey. He got bogey. I'm going to tap in for par. So I'm back to so, plus three, and you're still at plus five. Could have been worse. Oh, snap. I forgot the next tee pads right there. I got to go back and get my discs. I left them up by the street thinking we were going to walk back that way. I'm really kind of curious why there is a random motor behind the trash can. Yeah, it's probably not ideal for... Like, do they have heated trash cans? <laughs> they got a generator. So if we... I'm trying to do the math. Have we finished seven baskets then? We did one, two, three, four, uh, five... Six, seven, yeah. Um, so when they have two more, um, where are we throwing to? So we're going from here back to the basket we already played on the tree stump. So we have to, okay. And I'll tell you right now, um, this is a cozy, um, at least, at least 300 feet, which is very manageable. But also, 
with no run-up and a severe lack in trust right now of my discs and how wet they are. I think I'm just going to truly play for par and go land before the creek, not risk the water hazard, and then clear the creek. So, I'm going to throw this judge. I'm going to throw a putter. Technically, uh, it was my box because I pardon you, Bogey. Oh, I thought it was still just whoever had lead. No, it's always whoever wins the last oh, hole. Oh, my bad. That's okay. See, he knows the rules. He's the he's the vet. Well, I have played in uh, a couple tournaments, mostly charity ones. Uh, the disc golf community is big on charity, so especially in the winter months where people aren't out on tour, a lot of local clubs will do uh, fundraising tournaments for local food banks. Uh, or other charities in their community, homeless shelters, stuff like that. I'm a big fan of that charitable effort. We're pretty close together. What you throw there? That was my moonshine vandal. Uh, if any of Jesse's listeners are rich investors and want to find me another one of those discs, that was a limited edition run that I got lucky to find on a used disc rack. And they don't make them anymore. Or at least they haven't made another run in that plastic. But it's my favorite disc. And so I've been on the lookout for a Dynamic Discs Moonshine Plastic Vandal. The Moonshine Plastic means it's supposed to glow at night. This one doesn't glow nearly well at all. But it flies so nice during the day that I'm okay with it. But I feel like we've drifted away from yeah, talking yeah, theology. Man. We've been so focused on the game. Kingdom. But that's okay, because sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I listen to these big podcasts. You know, I listen to Ligonier every day. I listen to Alistair Begg regularly. I listen to John Piper occasionally. I listen to Remnant Radio pretty often. And usually it's all shop talk. So you don't really know what are these guys like when mm. you see them outside. Yeah, Matthew's got the uh, the fullest exposure of what I'm like this run through. <laughs> In all the And I've and still chosen books. to come back again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we've got maybe 100 feet. We're not too bad. Um, I'm throwing my west side crown. And that's not bad. No, that should be a par. That's about five feet from the basket. I have to see exactly where I landed. I skidded up in here somewhere. There I am. I'd stepped just a little too far because it was covered in the snow. I'm going to use my putting putter, but I'm going to roll up my sweaty hoodie sleeve. <laughs> little extra information for those that are at home and I'm gonna throw this and hopefully try and birdie I got about 60 70 feet not bad oh oh shy. what would you say that was probably about two feet three feet short yeah we so, both have a easy enough par now but you had a chance at climbing one of those points back 
the line that I threw was was a perfect line. I just needed I needed to eat the rest of that pancake this morning for some extra energy to burn. Yeah. That would have done it. That would have been the uh the solution. I am a cheese bag. All right. I well, knew I could have made that. That's within my throw-in range that I've done before. For me, it's interesting. Like anything 20 feet and under, I feel like I'm pretty safe with my putting. But anything from about 20 to 60, I struggle. Yeah. Yet somehow when I hit that 60 mark, I feel like I'm pretty good at actually just throwing it and throwing it in. Obviously, I missed this one. But my confidence level is actually higher out there. Okay, picking my crown back up for a five-foot putt. For I thought you were supposed to lay your crowns at Jesus' feet. Far. <laughs> that was a <laughs> little theological humor for the disc golf fans that are listening. Cheesy. Cheesy. I am a cheese bag. That's what they say. All right. Plus three, plus five. I mean, we could even do a tenth basket because it may, might make it interesting depending on how basket nine goes. Um, I mean, we're at about an hour and 15 minutes. People have been listening to us disc golf and talk about nothingness and good stuff. And True, but I imagine when you put this in post-editing, there will be quiet times where we're walking where you'll cut out some. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe I'll make them listen to us. Breathing. <sighs> you could listen to my heavy breathing. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I don't like to edit. I've told people that. I, I mean, I'm going to try to edit a little, but I've already know I've hit the mic a couple times. So, um, okay, we both tied that. You're still up because you were the winner before that. So, so plus, which basket am I throwing to? This is once again the normal basket. Okay. So plus three, plus five, basket nine, on this difficult snowy course. This is a this is a three hundred and I think it's like 376. I think is what That's I'm... what it looks like it says, yeah. So I am once again leaning into my Horizon DD1 from Discmania. I actually have more bags in my disc, or my, more discs in my bag than I've thrown. But I'm trying to stick with ones that are easily findable in the snow. Yeah. Because I don't want to be out here for three hours digging around to try and hope I can find one. All right, here we go. No bueno. Buried. Um, so this one's tough because you've got trees everywhere. There's a creek, water hazard. Um, and really your two options are park yourself below the tree before the creek, which you kind of did because you hit the tree. Not quite where you'd want to be, but close. So very parable still. The tree actually ended up helping me because if I hadn't, had not hit that where I did, I probably would have ended up in the creek. Yeah, maybe. It was hooking. We played the other day, uh, and one of the guys that we were with, he threw a disc into the creek, and it was his favorite disc. So he actually did jump in, <laughs> and it was about two feet of water. Shout out, On Isaac. a 12-degree uh, day. God yeah. bless him. He was a, a nice enough kid, but I really questioned his sanity when he did that. Yeah, that's... But uh, he didn't get hypothermia, so at the end of the day... That we know of. His bravery <laughs> paid off. All right, I'm throwing my envy again because I'm just going to try to keep it low and park myself before the creek, maybe by that sidewalk, by the bridge. No, the bridge is too risky. Before the bridge, by that big tree. What he's trying to say is he doesn't want to end up in the creek again. 
That's and fine. he didn't. He hooked it actually to the right. Yeah, that's fine. We both have a good approach for par if our next throw is on on point. You got a tree in the way, though. Maybe. maybe. We can hyzer out of there. We'll see. Well, one thing, too, that I thought about talking about with you on this, like, and just so anyone knows, this is very organic. That was part of my hope for this was just let's play. He did not give talk. me a script. No, there's all. nothing. I don't even have a script for questions. But I did think about this. Um, recently, the Sauvays on their Bright Hearth podcast talked about like, you know, when you take on theology, go slow. And they talked about how like some young men will be like, oh, I believe in this doctrine. And then six months later, ah, no, actually, I believe in this one. It's a very common thing. Uh, <laughs> and truth uh, is, taking theology slow, oh my gosh, like people, when they want to know. I actually had this discussion with uh, a guy on Instagram, uh, Cam Hyde. Uh, I don't know if you follow it. Uh, I don't think so. I think his Instagram handle is at real Cam L Hyde. Okay. Uh, but he was talking about eschatology. Or no, excuse me, no, it wasn't eschatology, it was, it was baptism. He was talking about why he is a credo-baptist, believer's yeah. baptism. And just because I wanted to stir pots, I felt like, you know, giving an argument in favor of... Or pedo. Pedo-baptism. Or as Isaac would say, pedo. And I, personally, don't have a definitive answer on what I what I think on that. Sure. My, my Presbyterian friends have made some very great cases. I'm not 100% sure I can suss it out in the word. That's the thing. I think the ideologies and the ideas and the, the way they get there, it makes sense. But however, at, when push comes to shove, the Bible just doesn't convince me that and that thought process is the way we have to go. So I'm right? actually open to, like, I don't invalidate Presbyterians for their view on baptism. But my word, if you ever watch Reformed Facebook, Man, they go at each other over baptism. So I made the joke, and then afterwards I told him, I said, I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. I tend to adhere to believer's baptism because I haven't been convinced of the pedo position. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm not going to sit there and tell my uh, Presbyterian friend, you know what, you are, in, you are wrong, your mode of baptism is wrong. You need to get saved and get rebaptized, which is all things I've heard on the internet, mostly by young Reformed Baptist guys who haven't learned yep. to walk in, in humility. Charity, in maturity and humility. And yeah. it's funny because Patience. when a Reformed Baptist gets mature, they're able to get along with Reformed Presbyterians. Yep. But it seems like there's a ceiling where the vast majority of Reformed people, they learn to get along with other Reformed people. Yep. Where baptism is our difference. Oh, the, the, you know, church polity is our difference. Yeah. But I want to come to a place where I, I am able to be charitable and loving towards people I disagree with. What if I, what if I were to get along with friends who have Arminian leanings? Yeah. What if I were able to get along with my Wesleyan friends? Yeah. What if I were able to get along with the old Pentecostal holiness types? Yeah. We can have strong disagreements over certain areas of theology, but at the end of the day, when I get to heaven and they're standing next to me praising the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to be grateful that they're there. Well, that was a lot like George Whitfield when his followers asked him, like, hey, John Wesley, you, you know, the... I'll let you throw. Oh, ooh. 
That faded. That's going to be a tough par. You got it, though. Was that the evader? That was the evader, yep. Yeah, well, so like George Whitfield had his followers asking him, like, John Wesley, you know, the heretic guy, the crazy guy, the holiness guy, the Methodist guy, like, we won't see him in heaven, right? And he's like, you're right, because he's going to be up near Jesus, and we're going to be in the back. I mean, I love George Whitfield for that response, you know, and that's just mm -hmm. such that humility of somebody who's been trained and matured in the word. And they talked about how, like, six months you flip-flop, flip-flop, and that's being pushed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, mm -hmm. you know, and... That's why when people ask me like eschatology, I'm like, honestly, you guys, I've only been looking at eschatology for like 16, 17 months. And they're like, and you don't have a decision? I'm like, of course not. <laughs> I like, have leanings. Like, Give me at least a year or two before I can, I'm willing to make a decision. I lean strongly toward amillennialism. Uh -huh. Very, very strongly, but I'm not decided. Here's an interesting fun fact for you, though. Uh, Postmillennialism is, or a, a variation of postmillennialism, is increasingly growing within the charismatic circle, especially those that might be labeled as NAR. The Seven Mountain Mandate. It's the Seven Mountain <laughs> Dominionist Mandate. It, yeah, it's... it's. I've and, told charismatics that. I'm like, post-millennialism lives strong in charismatic camps. Uh-huh. And... a really uh, tough shot, actually. I actually did this to a Presbyterian post-millennial friend of mine. I recorded one of his sermons where he was teaching on why he's post-millennial. And then I played him a clip from Lance Wallnow, you know, the famous pro-Trump <laughs> yeah, prophet. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am not endorsing Lance Wallnow. I am yeah. not particularly a fan of anybody who makes their primary ministry politics. Politics. Yeah, yeah. But that being said, Several of the things they said were almost word for word the same because the Dominionists and the Seven Mountainists believe that the church needs to take over the earth for Jesus and then he'll return. I'm really struggling with how I want to throw this. Yeah, that's why I'm filling time talking about eschatology. Gosh, I have a fat tree in front of me and I can't lean out of the way too well. Um, just positioned just right. So I think I'm going to have to just do a big hyzer and try to guess. What about tomahawking? No. I don't trust my tomahawk enough. Fair enough. For those yeah. that don't know uh, disc golf terms, a tomahawk is when you throw do an overhand MVP. throw like a tomahawk throw or axe throwing. And it is one of the great utility shots. Darn it. Uh, he, he chose to throw a steep hyzer, and unfortunately it was too steep that it came well short of the basket, meaning that I think he might even be a little farther than I am at this point. Yeah, par is looking rough. Par is looking us. challenging. Yeah. But I believe that uh, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to apply the, the lessons I've learned over years of disc golf playing, and <laughs> uh, I'm going to hope that it goes well. If I were a little more charismatic, I would just, uh, you know, dream board vision cast and manifest my destiny. But All right. I'm not. For par, penny putter. Nope. Barely. Oh, barely. He had the right height, but his line was just a little bit to the right. Just barely hold on a second long. Throwing my phi for par looks to be about 20, 25 feet. 
There you go, Paul. That's the sound of chains. So you were staying at plus five, and if I make this, I go to plus four. Darn. We're gonna have you to play still got to make 10. this though, and it's not a tap in. <laughs> Will his nerves get to him and cause a sudden death playoff? Here's the thing: I kind of want a sudden death anyway. I'm gonna keep talking, but I feel like I have to make this. I want you to either make it because you made it, or miss it because you actually suck. <laughs> I don't want you to intentionally miss. Okay. And there it is. Well, we can play basket 10 for funsies and see if you beat me. What is basket? Do we have a basket 10? Yeah, we do. They Whoever did this designed it in a way you could do 18. Huh. Okay. Well, we can do one more. So we can do, um, it's up by this sidewalk up here to that basket. Cool. One more sounds good. Yeah, just for fun. My feet are getting really cold, though. My, my socks are thoroughly wet, and so I don't know how much longer I want to keep getting them wet. But uh, one thing I learned from my trip last year when I came to visit Brother Jesse and his church is to pack extra socks and underwear because you'd be surprised how much you get wet. Ogden just, it's, every time I'm here, it's cold and wet and snowy. Yeah, never know what to do with the weather here. I'm Usually. told in the summer that they actually get to see the land. It just hasn't happened for me yet. Yeah. So usually... I do this, but that is covered in snow. So might I make the suggestion then? We come here and just use just to the left of it as our throwing ground. We could. I hit par. You hit par. I hit bogue. Plus so, four, plus five. And for all the bread right here. This I is definitely a, left my uh, moonshine back. Several holes. Oh, well, we'll get it. That sucks, though, because that was what I was going to use on this hole. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to use the Samurai. I'm going to throw my Trespass again. It's my 12 speed. My goal is to beat you with the disc you bought for me. Not bad. Birdieable. Ooh, unfortunate skip, but still birdieable. Yep. Nope. That might be that. Oh, you shorted it enough. You're not in the creek. Oh, you're over, actually. All right. Well, see, this is why we play one more. I have a bad throw, and all of a sudden, I might lose. I just didn't keep it. I didn't keep my wrist locked down. That's my struggle today. I'm not locking it. I keep forgetting. So, to those of you that are listening... Take your theology slow. You have a lot of time. Don't flip-flop. When you decide something, be convinced of it. Know the nuances of each side. And Especially you know, when it comes to secondary and tertiary and quaternary doctrines. That's right. I call them quaternary if they're not even worthy of being tertiary doctrines. But well, Yeah, and that's why Paul is able to say things like, I chose to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Like, that's the primary issue. Yet people quote Romans 16, 17 <laughs> about the silliest things. They'd be like, you know, 
I, I mean, I would argue a lot of things should not be put into the Roman 16, 17 category, but yet they are. You know, avoid those who uh, throw up obstacles contrary to the faith in which you've been taught. Similar to Romans 12, to prophesying in accordance with the faith, the faith. All right. I'm not as bad as I thought, but birdie, very tough birdie. So, he's bringing out the crown. Crown. It's wet. Oh. Ladies and Man. gentlemen, that was just a hair off. But it literally stopped underneath the basket. So he should have a tap in. Now all the pressure's on you. If you birdie this, we go to sudden death. Either way, we go back and get my my uh, moonshine vandal. <laughs> oh, I hit the basket. The sound of the cage rejecting a sudden death. And I'm using the samurai. No! <laughs> he intentionally missed because he does not want to stop playing. <laughs> no! It bounced out. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, from two feet away, he threw it with the force of a Major League Baseball starting pitcher. <laughs> Just yeah. so that we go into sudden death. I guess we're going to sudden death, unless you miss this tap-in. If I throw it with the force that you did, I'd miss it. So just don't do that. Don't do what I did. He's about to. <laughs> oh, sudden death. Which basket do you think you left it at? Because we could just sudden death toward it. Uh, I definitely left it. You know the one where we threw across the creek and I almost made the birdie from long? This one right here? Yeah. So just that it's one? It's on the other side of that creek by that big tree. Oh, okay. So let's do... Yeah, let's do this this teapad across the creek again. Yep. See, you're rubbing off on me. I don't say creek. Creek. Across the creek again. I. <laughs> we had I'm, this conversation earlier about dialects. And in Utah, a scone is actually just like a piece of fry bread. But everyone else in America, a scone is. Yeah. A, he ordered. <laughs> they ordered scones at the restaurant yesterday. And out came this puffy piece of flatbread then he ordered it again today puffy piece of flatbread now i grew up with my my dad is an indian man lived in england for many years my uncles still live in london i know what a scone is <laughs> that is not a scone you're first you uh you beat me that one now my uh native friend from the tohono autumn reservation down in arizona they call them popovers I don't know why, hmm. but uh, most of the world just knows them as fry bread or Indian fry bread. And we call them scones in Utah. Here we are. Must have something to do with Mormonism. Here we call our Dalton, Dalton, and our mountain, mountain. And our fry bread is a uh, scone. All right. Just a cozy 250 what this was at. Was, oh, that's a That was my gold line saint. Yeah, you have a chance of that. Was there. definitely much closer than the last time I threw. Oh no! He clipped the tree, 
And he oh. shorted the crick, so he's not in the crick. Oh my goodness. I clipped the tree. It, it did not do what he wanted it to do. No. But at least it didn't go in the water. If it was in water, I'd be done. I'd be game over. I'd be Paul Macbeth against James Conrad. It's over. Yes, for those that don't know, Ogden, Utah was the home of the 2021 World Disc Golf Championships. Or and nice. it went to an amazing sudden death overtime when James Conrad shot a miracle and then won the tournament. Okay, throw on my penny. I've essentially got a tap in, so. So he's got a tap in for par. I've got a little bit of a long birdie. But if you make this, you win. And the, all the, the favor, the odds, the betting goes back to you. And, you know, I don't want to do that to the people who bet, bet on me. So. And then, uh, <laughs> then we complain about our wet socks. Yeah, our socks are wet. My feet are cold. My discs are all wet at this point. We've been talking about nothing for a long time. Hopefully people have found this to be a blessing. Well, it's a little more than nothing. I mean, it's not a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> Or a Theos episode. <laughs> or Theo no, no, I, this has been a debate for us. <laughs> it's and not we're going to shout out the I'm Theos wrong. guys. I'm wrong. He calls it Theosu. I on just Instagram. can't do it mentally, and it bugs me. I don't know why. I know it's Theos. Right over there, it should be my you. my uh, other disc. By the way, what color was it? Oh yeah, it's right here. Problem is, I gotta find my current disc. Your recurrent disc is right there. Is it? I thought it went further than that. Here's your vandal. This is a pretty disc. It is. I got it in the use rack. A friend of mine uh, who really helped me grow my game yeah. recommended it to me. When I was new at playing, it was great because it was easy. As I got better at playing, uh, I was able to do more things with it, so it became a useful disc, not just a beginner disc. All right, pressure. Oh, we're both taps. Sudden death, undecided. Par. Have you looked at some of the snow as the sun's been coming and hitting it? How weird it looks? Yep. It's weird. It's very granular. Yeah. Looks like granular sugar. All right. Let's see. Let's see if you miss your tap in. Have you ever seen someone get like eight discs in at the same time? Uh, like, like throw them all together. Oh, I have not seen someone throw their basket in the basket. I just threw my whole bag. Their bag in the basket. Yep. Good tapping. Okay, I guess we'll just go to the next one. Oh, this is the one I OB'd. Okay. If I don't OB this. Oh, this is the one where he went OB earlier. Yep. Let's see if he can uh, correct. And stay in bounds. 
I see our footprints in the snow and we walk the same. <laughs> nice thing about this one is when we finish this one, we can, assuming we don't go into another sudden death, we can walk back up the sidewalk. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Maybe uh, knock off some of the snow. Yep. All right, go ahead. Oh, it's you, isn't it? Oh, it's me? Yeah. I'm just thinking about which disc I want to throw. I'm going to throw the Moonshine Vandal. They do exist on the internet. I just haven't found one when I've had money to buy one. Ah. I would absolutely uh, buy another. I am the kind of person I believe in, like, having three or four of what you throw. So that way you can consistently cycle them through. And as they get worn, you have varying degrees of quality. That's going to be OB. That might be OB. You didn't get the skip. I think you're OB. I think I'm OB okay. as well. If I don't OB, I can win this. But I think my OB was a lot closer than yours. Maybe. Let's see. Okay, this is my uh, MVP relay, my, my turtle disc. Okay. That's not OB. That's a good throw. That's a great throw. That's an ace run right there. Oh my. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm a tap in. I think it's over. I think I won. All those people that were doubting me want to say thank you for being wrong. We'll see, though. I mean, you went OB, though, so I think it is over. Let's walk up here and see. Because I think I'm a tap. So, a lot of people in the Instagram world demanded photographic proof or video proof of the gold tights. But as you know, I decreed and declared that they were gone. Well, to be fair, you actually <laughs> told them yourself after I'd already told you I was not going to post anything to Instagram about that. It was very uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I, I saw too much of him. I mean, for, for the sake of modesty, I had to I'm wear I'm thinking boxers. this was about where I OB'd. Yeah. This is where you were. That's where I was right there. It's it about a foot and a half, two feet different. We're just twinners. That's all. But yeah, so Matthew doesn't fully understand the complexities. Well, no, he probably does. Our church takes the uh, Christmas party very seriously, and there's a lot at stake. I mean, and I did get second place with that, uh, with that costume I wore. It was a Santa shirt. It said, be jolly or stay jolly. Drinking a Coke. Gold tights and boxers. I had boxers on. They were like I thank shirts. God for those boxers, though. Well, that was my wife. You're welcome. Just kidding. I knew, too. I had to wear them. Okay. I'm not a tap-in. I've got like five feet. But if this goes in, I mean, do you want to finish yours first? Technically, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're, I'm you're out, out, so... Oh, now I'm up. He wins no matter what. Oh, even if I miss this, I've got another stroke still. It's the sound of victory. Oh, and you would have made it. 
the second run. But in my defense, I don't really have one, but if I did have a defense, it would be that I wanted to win. And that I found cheap gold tights at big lots, and I thought that might help me win. I mean... <laughs> Man among men. No honor, no... <laughs> He does, no respect for this pastor. He's he's young and a buffoon. Um, he but. is willing to, you know, some people have a sense of shame. <laughs> he does not. He has been set free from shame. Yeah. Clearly. I, I believe it's because I've just, I've learned to embrace who I am. And who I am is uh, willing to embarrass not only myself, but... Like every every time I do something like that, my brother is so embarrassed. My wife a little bit. She's learned to embrace it. My mother, she loves it. Church people, some love it, some really don't. So that's maybe why I gotta stop doing it. But I don't know. Maybe some like it. Well, Super. you know, there are always gonna be those church people who think <laughs> that a pastor should be a certain level of decorum. Yeah. And I don't disagree. I just think sometimes people expect more decorum than the scripture gives. Yeah. I mean, above reproach, right? And, you know, Timothy and Titus, we get some descriptions. Yeah. The, uh, the tights with the boxers, I think you skirted the line. If the, if the <laughs> boxers had slid down, that would have been grounds for you to be brought up on charges. <laughs> Discipline and development. Six-month leave. I'll tell you what, though. Pastors probably, they probably want more sabbaticals than they're given. I'll, ta I'll take a discipline and development sabbatical. <laughs> You'll just have to fill in for me. You come preach, okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, if that's what it takes to, to help you in your ministry, I'm here for you. That's good. That's good. You know, now, of course, we're joking. He definitely, as awkward as it was and as uncomfortable, and I definitely <laughs> would not have worn those tights. Uh, the truth is, especially in a lot of independent churches, there's not room for what happens when a pastor steps out of line. How do you disciple? How do you develop? How do you restore? Yeah. You know, we just watched with the Bat Chandler situation how the eldership of his church really did a great job. And I am going to go on record and say they did their due diligence. They say that what they say is truth and that they did not hold anything back. So I will not gossip or speculate beyond what has been spoken. I know a large part of the Christian community wants to make scandal. We love scandal and outrage. But the truth is he messed up. He got called out on it. He recognized, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about this. So he took it to the church elders and had them review it. And they said, you know what? You screwed up. Let's fix it. They fixed it. They worked with him. Now, we'll see over the coming months how that plays out. What level of difference it makes in his life. But uh, I'm not going to speculate on anything beyond that. I'm going to say thank God for faithful elders who hold their pastors accountable in a celebrity Christian culture where we've seen so many fall to the left or the right in so many sexual sins, this one, they took the time 
to get it right before it got out of hand. That's true. And I think they did a good job. And I think it is hard. I mean, you've seen our church now. We're, you know, I had a buddy that's like, heard your reforms now. And I'm like, not really. And he's like, well, I heard you're kicking out people for their hypercharismatic excesses. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, they're leaving of their own accord when I call out false teaching. And it's a big difference. Yeah, there is a big difference. And, you know, we've kind of we've kind of put ourselves in a position where we're small enough now where, you know, yeah, like I would love to have more support in that. And, you know, but that's in the Lord's timing. So for those of you listening, like pray in the Lord's timing that he'll bring about, you know, just the right people in the right place in the right positions. And, uh, you know, we just need more. Some faithful families that faithful are going to yeah, grow the church. You know, more more uh, leadership, more discipleship, more opportunities. So anyway, Matthew, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. We yeah. are sitting in our truck now, ready to go. We're almost at two hours since we started this, which is just incredible. Who knows if anyone's willing to listen to this that long, but it has been fun. Right.